to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, as we continue through this book, we are looking at probably the most well-known chapter in the book, and that is uh, chapter 13, as Paul describes to us love, and we've shown that uh, the context of chapter 13 is the Corinthians trying to have service, trying to have church trying to exercise gifts, but they uh, there was bickering and pride and jealousy and really hatred and all sorts of things going on there. And Paul says that doesn't work that way. We're not a religion. We're followers of Christ. We've been transformed. We uh, do things and we must do things at, because we have been touched by the love of Christ and that love flows out to others. And that, that is what keeping the law is. And if that isn't taking place, then you're not keeping the law. You're not glorifying God. You might be exercising gifts and doing all sorts of activity, but it's not what pleases the Lord. And so that's kind of the context of all these things. Last week we started verse 4. Love is patient and kind. And we saw, there we go, that long-suffering is... uh, which the uh, KJV rendering, uh, love, suffering, patience, that, that they're kind of nuances of the same thing. Well, but long-suffering is that quality of self-restraint in the face of provocation, which does not hastily retaliate or promptly punish. It is the opposite of anger, and it is associated with mercy. Long-suffering tends to be used in the context of dealing with others who are difficult, right? Patient, which is a more general term, is the quality that does not surrender to circumstances or succumb under trial. It is the opposite of despondency and is associated with hope. So patient has a connotation of the situation that I am in. Can I be patient and let God work it out for his honor and good? And I like it as associated with hope because there's, there's no way anyone can be patient in a trial or difficult situation, if you don't know from God's word that it will get better, and that it, that that God will make sense out of it all, right? And so those are two things that uh, the love of God produces in us. Um, then we uh, dealt also with uh, kindness and patience, and we saw that they are linked together in the Greek. And that there's a connection there that it is kindness is a, a counterpart to patience. Patience will take anything from others and kindness will give anything to others that would be for their good. So it's the give and take. We kind of saw that as we went through the Ten Commandments that while they are, that they are overall negative, that for a new covenant Christian to properly obey them, we must understand the positive side of that. And so it's not just enough not to steal. We are to be generous. We are to do good, right? And so that's kind of the idea there. And then we, we kind of close with an illustration of that. Uh, someone has said that by, you can realize or determine a man's, what kind of, how kind a man is, not by the way he addresses the king or those who have authority over him, but how he addresses his servants or those who uh, are dependent in some way over him. And I hope that is something that we always keep for us uh, as men and women, but certainly especially as men. Now, sometimes it's difficult to teach or more effective to teach on a concept by 
talking about what it is not more so than what it is. And it's certainly that's what Paul does here as he goes into uh, our text today. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. We won't deal with rude today. But he tells us what it is not. And so it gives us the other side of this thing because you can look at verse 6 perhaps and say, well, love does... Uh, does not rejoice in wrongdoing, but rejoices in the truth. And say, well, I, I don't rejoice in those things, and I rejoice in the truth, so I'm good to go. And Paul says, well, wait just a minute here, because um, if you see envy and boastfulness and arrogance in your life, then to, there's a degree in which you are not loving. And so sometimes it's like, it's kind of like the Trinity. Uh, it's much easier to sometimes say, that is what the Trinity is not. That's an error. You know, it usually happens when people try to illustrate the Trinity. It usually is better to say, no, that that is not really what it is either. Uh, than it is sometimes to explain exactly what it is, because we know that there's a sense in which the Trinity is not comprehensible to us in some ways. But we can recognize error. We can sometimes recognize what it is not, right? And that's kind of what Paul is doing here. And so... Um, if we say that we are loving, but we're arrogant and rude, then we, Paul saying, you know better. You know something is wrong. You're without excuse. Because that is not love. You cannot love somebody. And again, you think about it. How many women suffer at the hand of their, uh, their uh, spouse who loves them, but they are arrogant and rude and abusive to them? And so, what Paul is saying is, no, you don't love them. And so be, be very careful here to think that you, that, that you, to separate love from these other things. And so the negatives give us some specific ways to examine ourselves. You know, God's love is not simple. I mean, a lot of times people try to make it simple, like, oh, God just loves everybody equally. But, but the Bible is very, you know, first of all, God created us. And if our love is not simple, and, uh, and if our personalities and all that are complex, would we not expect that the God who made everything is even more so, right? So uh, we've got to be very careful that we never simplify God. And God's love is not simple. And so just because I might provide for my family doesn't mean that I love them very well. There's a lot of different things to think about when it comes to love. And that's why even though this isn't a comprehensive list, it certainly has, he lists many things. But it is a list of attributes that we need to keep before us. And the best way to do that uh, is not necessarily to memorize it, although that would be a first step. But it is to recognize the love that has been shown to us in Christ Jesus and let that spill out into the way that we deal with others. And everything we do must always flow from the gospel for it to be effective, and I think to glorify the Lord, to be used in the way he wanted it. Well, the first thing, though, that we look at today is envy or a jealousy. And we can define jealousy as sadness or sorrow on my part due to the success of another, right? Jealousy causes me pain when someone else feels pleasure. It is the kind of feeling a person feels when his or her competitor wins. And of course there's just many ways we could describe that. But jealousy very obviously is incompatible with love for a very good reason. Because as we've seen and defined, love seeks the benefit and well-being, the edification of another. 
Love, and, and we define it, love doesn't just do good what they think is good or what you think is good. Love does good what is biblical love, does what is good, biblically speaking, what God considers to be good, right? And so love seeks the benefit of another so much that it is willing, if it need be, to make a personal sacrifice to facilitate that. And you see, jealousy is, is the opposite of that. Uh, the, jealousy might be okay if you're doing good as long as I'm doing good with you. But it doesn't like it if you've got something that I don't have. But see, the very nature of love says, if I have to give up something for your good, that's okay. So you, so you see, it's the exact opposite. When others prosper at our expense, this is precisely what love intends. That, that's the essence of love. That's, that's the fullest manifestation to give of yourself for somebody else. Now, obviously, if others prosper at your expense because they have robbed you, that's a whole different thing. You know, that, that's not what we're talking about. But we're talking about self-sacrifice. And jealousy is not consistent then with love. Jealousy would rather prosper at the expense of another. And so when others prosper, jealousy results where love is absent because you're not satisfied with their good. <clears throat> and so envy or jealousy and love are mutually exclusive. It doesn't mean that we can't love if we at times struggle with these negatives as well. This is because we all know that we struggle sometimes with jealousy and envy. It doesn't mean that we aren't loving, that we can't love, or that we don't love. But it shows that we're not loving perfectly, right? That remaining sin is still there. And and uh, so, in other words, I don't have to assume that if I'm an envious of someone, that I'm not saved. Only that it reveals things in my life that I need to mortify. I'm not loving fully. There's work to be done, right? And so, it might be good to keep in, in mind that envy has two forms. <clears throat> and I have them listed there. One says that I want what they have, but the even worse form is that I don't want them to have what they have. See, it's a little different. You know, what's one form of envy to see you've got something, and if I wish I had that, and we'll talk about that, because the problem there is is not being content with the providence of God. But that's quite another thing to say, I don't want you to have it, whether I've got it or not, I don't want you to have it. Now, you've gone... Uh, 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 several steps further. <clears throat> Sometimes we joke that, you know, so-and-so has something. I, I don't want that. I just want one like it, right? Um, well, it might not be sinful to have whatever that is. And, and, and you know, your neighbor has a, a lawnmower that does the job and yours doesn't do the job. You know, I don't think it's a sin to say, you know what, I can, maybe I need a new lawnmower. I need one like his. And, and I don't think that's envy necessarily. Now, if the Lord makes it clear you can't afford what he's got or something like that, then you've got to be able to be accept that and be content with that. So it might not be sinful, though, to want something. The problem is that just underneath is the, is the, the problem of discontent, the sin of discontent. See, if you can have something that would be good for you and you can go get it, well, that's okay. But if you find yourself not being content, because you, the Lord has not given you that. Now you've got a problem. Now you've got an issue. 
That That's where the struggle will be. Am I content with what the Lord gives me? Am I worrying about using what I do have instead of I can't use what I don't have, you see? And that's what that's what happens. You end up not doing using the things God has given you <clears throat> like they should be used. And so instead of serving the Lord with gladness, we begin to find ourselves dissatisfied with what uh, I don't have. <clears throat> we start to make excuses. I can't do what I need to do because God isn't, isn't wise enough to give me what I need. At least what I think I need. And so are we content and useful in every situation with what we have? Or does the fact that somebody else has something I, we don't have uh, ruin it for us in some way? <coughs> Excuse me, I've got a little something in my throat that I can't get out. So <coughs> get it at some point. But you see, you start to see though how this uh, calls into question your love for the Lord. Your love for other people because you're uh, you're not living with the idea of giving and helping, but of what I have and that the Lord and somehow has not figured it out like I have. And so the second type of uh, envy, though, is certainly more insidious. It is to despise someone so much that you wish they didn't have what you have, especially because you don't have it. We saw this the other week, did we not, with uh, Solomon and his wisdom between the two uh, prostitutes. That prostitute was, not only was she upset, that envious that the other woman had her child, but because her envy was so much, she didn't even want the real mother to have her child. She was willing for that child to be killed. You see how it grows and what it does. <clears throat> It goes beyond being content to destructive behavior and to even hatred. And so it's it's so important for us to keep these things before us and to examine ourselves and what's motivating me and why am I thinking this way. The word for envy and jealousy is the word that means strong desire and it can uh, sometimes have a good meaning like zeal. We saw that in chapter 12 verse 31 where Paul says to to be envious in a sense or really to, to desire greatly the more important gifts. And my point in bringing this out is not necessarily wrong to desire what you don't have because we are to want to be holy. We are want to be Christ-like. We want to be, you know, and I think sometimes we see somebody and <clears throat> they're serving the Lord and they're using their gifts and, and they're, they seem to be full of the joy of the Lord. And I don't necessarily think it's a bad thing. I don't know it can be, but... <clears throat> I think sometimes we can be motivated. You know, that person is serving the Lord like I should be. And again, it's not a selfishness. It can be selfish. That's what the Corinthians are doing that. They were, that person's speaking in tongues and I want to be able to do that, you know. And, and to be, that, that, the motivation was all wrong. <clears throat> sometimes we're motivated perhaps when we see somebody doing what I should be doing. And I'm making excuses because I'm too lazy or I'm, you know, whatever I'm doing and uh, you know and it, and it spurs us in a, in a jealous way perhaps if and that's okay if if our desires to serve the Lord and and somebody's uh, testimony someone you somebody's example is showing you me that I'm not doing what I should be doing that I, there's room for improvement here that's a good jealousy I think it, it, again it, if we do it right <clears throat> and of course the problem is what are the things you really desire? 
and why, and ultimately, what what are the what kind of what place do they have in your life? Can I be content with what God has given me? And so, to to desire to have gifts to serve the Lord and, and the church is a good thing. And, and as I said, I don't think it's wrong to uh, want to have those things and to, to realize that you don't have or you aren't doing what you could be doing. But is the love of the Lord and the aim to do that, to serve him and to serve others, the motivation for that? I want us to be passionate and zealous over the right things. It's not wrong to desire things, to desire uh, service, to, to desire to be holy, to desire to, to serve the Lord. And sometimes it's not wrong to desire things. But I don't want us to waste time and energy because we desire all the wrong things. Uh, because we're not expressing love to God or to man, but we're just showing how much we love ourselves. And you can spend, and we know people, and, and you know, it's it's anecdotal, but you know we where we people have just ruined their lives because they're never content because they always want more, and they're never happy, and there's always that. There's always that discontent and jealousy that's in their lives, and and that's not love because see, that 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 kind of ignores God, it ignores why I'm here, what He made me for, what why He saved me, and it, and life becomes all about me and what I can get and how I can please myself. But love says, "Oh wait, just a minute, my Redeemer has saved me by grace, and He has given me uh, an opportunity to serve others and to serve Him." And that's what my life is about anyway. That's why, that's why God created me. And it completely changes the way we look at life. <clears throat> if I love you, then I should be happy when good things are happening to you, regardless of whether it's happening to me at the moment or not. Even if it means you're being used and exalted well beyond anything that I will, that I know will ever happen to me. Who cares? If, if God is using somebody else, great. Now, if, if he could use me like that, and I, and I, in my unwillingness and my stubbornness, and I make excuses for myself, I don't do that. Well, that's a whole other matter. But if God is blessing somebody, more power to him, even the world. You know, because it's easy. You know, the psalmist often talk, has to deal with this, that sees the world prosper. You ever get jealous because... They've got uh, something you don't have. Well, let them have it because what do they have? If, if they don't get saved, what they're going to lose it all, and we're going to gain everything. So, jealousy for 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 anybody, certainly the loss, just makes no sense. But but it's because we love ourselves so much that we struggle with it. <clears throat> I think Paul illustrated this very well over in Philippians chapter one. You might be familiar with this uh, passage, this, uh, this account. But he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Now, of course, the context of this is he's sitting in jail, unable to preach uh, and to, to minister like he wants to, while other preachers are taking advantage of this and, and are having some success. And so Paul says, I want you to understand that this has led to the advance of the gospel, so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. 
And the people were using that to spread the gospel. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry. Because we're, we're still a bunch of miserable sinners. But others from goodwill, the latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put up here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to affect me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. Paul says, this is not about me being in prison. This is about the gospel going forth. That's all, that's all my, my life matters for anyway. So if it, so people use my situation in a dishonoring way. If, you know, if, if God uses it for the gospel, so what? So I passed out those Bibles. There might be some people who do that for all the wrong reasons. I don't know. But who cares because the gospel, the Bible's being put out. You know, praise the Lord. Paul, I think, gives us a excellent Example of, of, of why envy and jealousy, uh, has no place in our life. And so he says, yes, I, I will rejoice. And, and we can't, no one can say that without a powerful love for Christ. You can't be a nominal Christian and love like that. I would say you can't even be a careless Christian and, and say, be willing to, to, to do without and to, to suffer like that and, and rejoice when others aren't. In that situation. Now someone might protest. We think about jealousy. Well you know what the Bible says. Especially in the Old Testament. That God is jealous. He's a jealous God. God says it several times. So why, if God can be jealous. Why can't a Christian be jealous? Now this is a, a question. That would only be asked. When someone who really. Hasn't been taught very well. Or hasn't at least thought it through. I, I'll admit. But there's a very real and obvious reason why God's jealousy is not the same thing as when we get jealous. And primarily God is jealous over what belongs to him. The jealousy Paul is talking about here is jealousy over something that belongs to somebody else. So that's that's part of it. And of course God has created all things for his glory. Because there is no one who has any glory other than God. Everything that we have is derived from God. And he has created all things for his glory. So when his creatures give honor and glory to themselves or to something else, they are robbing him of the glory due his name. And so he has every right to be jealous over his glory. Because that's the only, uh, no one else should be receiving glory. It's just like a, a, uh, it is right for a husband to be jealous over his wife's love because she is only to give her love to him and vice versa. And so there's nothing wrong with being jealous, uh, in, in, for your, over your spouse. Now again, without spending a lot of time in that, we know that self-love can cause a husband to be very jealous over his wife in a very sinful way. Don't want him to talk to somebody else, look at another man, uh, you know, that, because I want all your attention, because of a, of a natural love for yourself. So that's a, that's a different issue. But there is a sense in which you promise to be faithful and to give your love only to that person. And as, and as a Christian, 
we have promised that to the Lord. And when we don't, when we give our affection to things that we should not above Him, that's He has a right to be jealous. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 11, 2, For I feel a divine jealousy for you, since I betrothed you to one husband to present you as a pure virgin to Christ. You know, Paul, uh, you know, he's jealous over the churches that he started because he wants to see them uh, come to Christ in, in this, for the reasons that they were saved to begin with. And he doesn't want to see sin come in and destroy the churches. So jealousy is quite prevalent in the church at Corinth. The, the Corinthians are jealous of the gifts and ministries of their fellow believers. Some despise their own gifts and callings and wish they had greater gifts, at least what they thought were greater gifts and ministries. They seem to be jealous over the, these visible, verbal ministries that, that, that not all have. You know, and envy, if you think about envy, again, I'm kind of using these interchangeably, but envy is called one of the seven deadly sins. And there's a reason for that. Now, now I believe the whole idea of, of venial sins and cardinal sins is, is unbiblical and, and unhelpful. But clearly, when you think, when you kind of boil down the basic sins, envy is one of those things that has just done so much destruction in this world, right? It is one one of the worst of sins. Envy is how Satan got to Eve to eat the fruit. It is what led to Abel's murder. What it led to Daniel being thrown into the lion's den. It's it's what led to the crucifixion, in, in one sense, because it, 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 like in Luke four and in John chapter eight, when Jesus told the Jews that uh, it didn't come just to you guys, but I'm going there's I'm going to save people out of the Gentiles as well. Uh, you're not going to ha- have exclusive rights to the kingdom. They didn't like that. And they crucify eventually crucify him. It's envy. Proverbs 27.4 says, Wrath is cruel and anger is overwhelming. Who can stand before jealousy? It's just, you know, we, we know it's it's the root of a lot of sin. Um, it, it produced a lot of damage. James 3.13 Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. Don't don't boast yourself as a Christian who loves Jesus. You're not wise and understanding in the church. You know you need to come to grips with who you are. If you if you're if you have jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, this is not the wisdom. Verse 15 that comes down from above, but is earthly and unspiritual. Ooh, demonic. Is there is there a true Christian that is content with being described as demonic, right? But that's what envy is. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Is it our desire to be spiritually wise? Excuse me, that's I. Uh, that's not part of scripture. <laughs> Last line. That's that's my notes. Is it our desire? To be spiritually wise and have understanding. As he talks about there in, in verse 13. Envy says as much of your view of God as it does anything, really. Right? His providence, grace, your understanding of grace. 
We must be careful that the word and concept of grace become so familiar that we forget what it implies. Okay, because if we're talking about envy, we're talking about being jealous of what somebody else has, it, it, it's a denial of what grace is. Grace, the only, th- the only reason grace makes any sense to us is because Christ, God gave us what we did not have, what we do not deserve. All we are and have is a gift from God. And so when you grow in the knowledge uh, in, in your battle with sin and your useless, usefulness for the Lord, it is not so you can look down upon somebody else or with the expectation of being admired because uh, you have nothing to be admired for. What you do, what, whatever I can do that is good is because God has enabled me to do it. He must get all the credit. So what is growing if the gospel of grace is humbling you, not lifting you up? And that's what's going on with the Corinthians. And it's certainly, it's, it's certainly something that we can happen to us as well. We're not above any of this. And just as bad, again, it, it, it's like the Corinthian church. When we begin to be satisfied with ourselves because of some gift or ability, while gross sin is rampant in our life, something is wrong. That's what happened in chapter 5. They were, they were proud and arrogant of their church while they were allowing incest to take place in their membership. It's always disturbing to see someone so bent out of shape over somebody else's weaknesses, but completely oblivious to their own sins. That's what arrogance is. And we all know that that's how easy that is, how we struggle with that. The awfulness of someone else's sins should cause us to remember the work that we need to do in our own lives. <laughs> but too often, uh, it just gives us another reason to boast in ourselves. But arrogance has become fixated on yourself and your exaltation rather than the Lord and others. And it can be just as much by withdrawing yourself from others in some sort of misguided humility as well. That, that's just, it's, uh, you know, that, that's, that's just as much arrogance as anything else to, to say, well, I can't do anything. I don't deserve this. You know, I don't have any gifts. I can't do this or that. That's just, that's just calling attention to yourself. We've spoken much of inferiority complexes and shyness which usually make a big show of not being able to do anything, constantly depressed because you're so unworthy, making everyone constantly having to focus on you. And I hope you can see the arrogance in that. The lack of trust in the Lord to say that, Lord, you didn't give me any, any you didn't make me uh, worthy to do anything or able to do anything. It's a fixation on self. And so it's good to now and then take stock in ourselves as to whether our lack of service and involvement is not because we can't do something, but simply because we don't want to appear to have failed or to be embarrassed. And I think that's a lot of it. And, and you know, I understand that. No one wants to make a fool of themselves or to look inadequate because we like to compare ourselves to everybody else. But once we get past all that and say, Lord, all I care about is doing what pleases you, that I'm willing to, 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 to take that risk, uh, humanly speaking, to, to go out there and put myself out there and let the Lord do what he will. You know, John the Baptist readily admitted that he was not deserving of any glory. He said that he wasn't even worthy to lose the sandals of Jesus. 
And when his disciples thought that he was being slighted because Jesus was becoming more popular than him, he says, he must increase and I must decrease. But this humility didn't cause him to have a sense of inadequacy where he just sat there and did nothing. He understood that his strength was in the Lord and, and so much so that he was willing to give his life for the Lord. And so if we love and have a healthy sense of ourselves with others, we are not shy. We will not let others do everything. Love serves. Love doesn't make excuses. Love says, you know what, I'm uncomfortable doing this, but this needs to be done. And I'm going to do it. None of us can uh, do anything helpful unless the Spirit of God works in us anyway. Not being involved in the Lord's work and in people's lives just doesn't add up as a Christian or for a Christian. To make excuses for doing what God saved you to do makes no sense. Arrogance can take many forms, and we're just about done here. So let's look at our lives. Are we helpful? Do we help others be something or do something for the Lord? Are others better for being around us? are, Are they dragged down by the way we speak or the way we interact with them? When they're around us, is it good or bad? Uh, uh, um, Does the way we talk help them spiritually, uplift them, edify them, or does it drag them down spiritually? Does does being around somebody else cause them to have to be discontent or have ungodly feelings? Well, that's that's a that's a sign of envy and boasting and arrogance. There's something about you that, that does not help that person, lift that person up, but drags them down. Do we build up or tear down? Are people more content by our, our influence with God's providence? Or do being around us cause them to, does it breed discontent uh, and dissatisfaction? Because they don't see it in us. And, and we're not conveying that. We're conveying the very opposite of that. Arrogance is big-headed. Love is big-hearted. And so I finish with this verse. Maybe. There you go. uh, There we go. That's it. The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. Pride and arrogance and the way of evil, perverted speech, I hate. Now there's a sense in which we could say, you know, Solomon, he wrote this, the Lord hates these things. But there's, I think this is Solomon speaking. And the fear of the Lord is a hatred of evil. It makes sense. But he's saying pride and arrogance and the way of evil and perverted speech, I hate. Because he, we, we should hate these things. And maybe we read this verse and think of Solomon hating it when he sees it in others. And no doubt he did. We do. I, we hate arrogance to other people. Right? But I think perhaps we should at least assume that to some degree, Solomon, and if not Solomon, us, should be able to say, I hate it when I see it in myself. Why can't it mean that we don't like to see it in ourselves, but see, we, we, we don't mind it in ourselves. Well, we don't have much use for it when we see it in other people. 
And I'd like to just close with that point. The point of these verses is to help us look at ourselves. To look within. Not others. I mean, there's there's a degree where you have to judge things that you see. I understand that. But you need, we need to first make sure that we aren't the arrogant and the envy and the boastful. Because when we boast, we're just saying, you know, I, I don't care about you. I want you to uh, be filled with me. Not Christ, but me. And so... Uh, you know, there, there couldn't be a more convicting passage of scripture than than First Corinthians 13, right? But these are good things for us to think about. And it shows how far we are from where we need to be, how far we got to go. But by the grace of God, someday we will get there. All right? We'll stop there today. Any questions or comments? Yes. Well, hopefully we're saying that enough that you can go out this week and keep those words in your mind and in your hearts, right? Amen. You're dismissed.